Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be continuing a series that we began uh, last Sunday called The New Love. And this series is walking us through Galatians chapter 6 as we unpack a little bit of what it looks like for those who are empowered by the Spirit of God to love those around us. Last Sunday, we saw the first installment of that, and we saw that those who were spiritual demonstrate love by really bearing the burdens of others while taking responsibility for the loads the Lord has called us to carry. And so we begin our study by looking at that, and today we're going to continue that study by talking a little bit more about what it looks like for us to be empowered by the Spirit of God as we love one another inside of the church family. Well, before we get there, though, I want to share with you a quote I saw earlier this week that I I found particularly impactful. This quote comes from Andrew Murray, who many, many years ago said this. He said, the world asks... What does a man own? The world asks, what does a man own? And we we resonate with that, right? Because in our world today, people talk about things like net worth and what's your annual income and how many square feet do you have in your house and what car do you drive? Now, we may not talk all all that way all the time, but we live in a world that acknowledges and recognizes what someone has. But Murray very astutely said, the world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? How does he use it? And friends, today, I I want to challenge us with this very thought. Not what do we have access to, not what do we own, but I want us to think about how we are using the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. And in particular, I want us to think in two categories. I want us to think in terms of our time, and I want us to think in terms of our money, because I believe those two categories are what Paul is going to talk about in Galatians 6, verses 6 to 10. How are we utilizing, how are we stewarding the money and the time that the Lord has entrusted to us? Now, some of you may be going, well, I'm, I tell you what, I'm, I don't have as much of either of those as I would like. And I understand that. That's part of being a human, right? We, we often think, I wish I had just a little bit more time. I wish I had just a little bit more money. But rather than thinking of what we don't have, I want you to think about what you do have, what you do have access to. And not just what do you have, but how are you using it? And in particular today, I want you to think about the, the time, and I want you to think about the money that you have access to like seeds, like seeds. And seeds are meant to do what with them? To plant them, to sow them, so that they might bring back a harvest. And so when we think of what we have access to with time and money, and we think of them as seeds that need to be planted someplace, we might just ask the question, where are we planting the seeds of our time and our money? Now, inside of our study of Galatians, we have seen that there are two big fields that we have access to as followers of Christ. There is the field of our flesh, and there is the field of the Spirit. And so what will we do with the seeds of our time and our money? 
Will we plant them and sow them in the field of our flesh? Or will we plant them and sow them in the field of the Spirit? The answer to that question should be, it depends on the harvest that we want. If we want a harvest of fleshly fruit, then plant your time and money in the field of the flesh. But if you want a harvest of spiritual fruit, we need to plant that seed in the field of the Spirit. We're going to see all of that come a little more clear to us today as we look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. If you've got a Bible, turn there. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in these few verses today, and I want to read those verses for us. And after I read them, we'll back up and make a couple of observations today that will help us personalize this information that Paul is sharing with us. Again, Paul writes to his friends in Galatia, and he says this, beginning in verse 6. He says, "'Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches.'" Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith." Now, friends, in those five verses, we're going to see two things today that will help us invest the seed the Lord has entrusted to us well. Well, what are those things? The first thing we're going to see is this. Sow the seed of treasure in the Lord's work. Sow the seed of treasure in the Lord's work. That's right. We're going to begin by talking about money today. So if you need to leave, I understand um, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to hang in there through this because there's life in here, not death. There's life in this verse, in these verses for us. So let's look at what God guides us with on the area of money, of the treasure that he's entrusted to us in these verses. Now, it's important for us to begin by understanding the context of this verse. And that context is found back in verse 5. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that in verse 5, The Apostle Paul said this, he said, each of us are to bear his own load. Each of us are to take responsibility for the backpack full of things the Lord has entrusted to us, and we are to carry it ourselves. At the end of last week's message, I even implied that that part of that, carrying the backpack, was to, to work and to labor, that we might be able to see God provide for our physical needs of a place to live and food to eat and clothing for our bodies through the work that we do. Now, after making this statement in verse 5, it was possible for somebody to raise their hand and say, okay, Paul, we get it, but what about those people who are working in the church? Shouldn't they stop working in the church and go get a real job? Shouldn't they, they go out and, and do some other kind of vocation and then just be a regular Christian alongside the rest of us? Should they not draw an income from their labor? Well, Paul corrects that thinking in verse 6 when he says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What Paul is saying here is he says it is appropriate for those who are being taught the word of God to 
share all good things, and I think in the context here, he is talking about finances. It is appropriate for the one who has taught the word to share financial blessings with the one who teaches. In other words, the one who teaches the word of God, it is appropriate for them to draw a living from that ministry. Now, why would Paul need to say this? I mean, beyond just the context of what he said in verse 5, why would he need to say this? Well, the reason why Paul would need to say this is because of those who were opposing Paul. Remember who Paul's enemies were who were arguing against him in the Galatian region? They were the Judaizers. They were those unbelieving Jews who had come from Israel and had followed Paul and were arguing against Paul, telling everyone they needed to be circumcised, they needed to become a Jew if they wanted to have right standing with God. Now, inside of the Jewish system, there was no such thing as this free will offering for, you know, religious workers. Why? Because they had a very adept system of taxation that paid the priests. So money came into the temple treasury through taxation, not free will offerings, but through taxation of the people. When that, those resources came in, then they would be given out to take care of the financial needs of the priests. And so that was the category that existed for them. And so those who were following Paul around would probably say something like this. Paul's just making up a new story so that he can make a new stream of income. And so they were trying to discredit his ministry. But Paul goes out of his way to say that the one who has taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches it. Now, one other point of interest with this has to do with Paul himself. In order to combat this, Paul not only taught about it, but what did he do, especially early on in his ministry? Paul worked, and he worked as a tent maker. Why did Paul do that? To remove this ammunition. He didn't want to be accused of exploiting this ministry for personal gain, and so he worked as a tent maker. But all the while, he was teaching the validity of a congregation providing for financial needs for those who who taught it. So he had a unique role in communicating this. Now, another thing that's really interesting to think about with Paul, Galatians was most likely the first letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it in 48 AD. I don't mean that he never wrote, you know, hi, mom, having a fun time on the trip. I don't mean that. I mean scripture. The first letter of scripture that Paul wrote was probably Galatians, written somewhere in 48 AD. At this point in time, Paul is not drawing an income from any congregation that he ministered to. That was true among the Galatians. That was true among the Corinthians. It was true among the Thessalonians, all of those places. But at the end of Paul's ministry, when he's imprisoned in Rome, he gets a letter from his friends in Philippi. And if you were with us last year, you remember we looked at those verses in chapter 4, where he acknowledged the financial gift that the Philippians gave to him. Why would Paul feel the freedom to accept that gift then if he didn't accept it early? Well, the reason why is he had spent 20 years teaching about how that was appropriate and okay because the dynamic had changed. No longer would there be taxation to pay for the needs of those who were doing the religious work, but it had transitioned completely at that point to free will offerings. And so Paul was able to, by the time Philippians is written some 20 years later, is able to accept that offering from the congregation. So we see in here this this statement or this idea that those who are taught the Word of God would share all good things with those who 
received it. Now, this brings forth the principle of our management of the resources that God has, has entrusted to us. And this idea is not something that was new to Paul, but it's actually something that Jesus talked about quite a lot. Let's think about this idea of sowing our seed of treasure and where we see it in other parts of Scripture. Paul would, or Jesus would say in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, that we will all be held accountable for how we utilize the resources of finances the Lord has entrusted to us. I think in, in this passage, which is the parable of the talents, it means more than just money, but I think it certainly includes money. That each person was entrusted with a certain number of talents that they were to invest, and then ultimately they would have to give an account for how they invested those resources one day. And so Jesus is laying the foundation here for utilizing the resources entrusted to us for his purposes. We also see this idea in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus much more clearly talks about finances. When he says that we are to utilize the resources of money in this life to influence people for spiritual good and development. He talks about how the money that we use today, it's it's a wise use of money that helps leverage those resources so that other people have opportunities to hear about Christ so that one day when we go to heaven, we will meet people who came to know Christ on the other side of the financial gifts that we offered. And so we see Jesus talking a lot about investing the resources of money that he has entrusted to us. So if that's the case, that we are to invest these resources well, what do we do with them? What do we do with the resources that the Lord has entrusted to us? Well, in the New Testament, there are a number of different categories of things that are are good investments of the resources the Lord has entrusted to us financially. What are some of those? Well, a number of these references are going to come from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 6. We don't have time to get into all of that this morning, but I would encourage you, if you're interested in this topic, to this afternoon sometime, read 1 Timothy chapters 5 and 6, because there's a lot in there about financial investment. But he talks, one of the, the places that, that is mentioned there where we invest finances is for our own needs, that the Lord has entrusted money to us so that we can have food and clothing and, and shelter. So one of the places we invested is providing for our needs. Not our needs to extravagance, but to our needs. Another place where we invest the resources the Lord has entrusted to us is inside of our family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says that one who does not take care of the needs of their own family are worse than an unbeliever. We need to take the resources the Lord has entrusted to us and to the best of our ability care for those in our charge and in our family, even before those needs make it to the level of the church. Also, we are to take those resources and we are to invest in the needs of others. Places like 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 to 16 talk about meeting the needs of widows and orphans inside the church family. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 we just read a moment ago, talks about meeting the needs of of others and doing good to those, especially those inside of the household of faith. So another place where we use our resources is we help meet needs of those around us. But yet another level of, of investment of finances has to do with global church needs. And by that, I don't mean needs inside of this congregation, but I mean needs around the world in terms of partnership in ministries and missionaries around the world. Paul takes an offering 
from the Corinthians, for example, to help bless the work that is happening in the Middle East. Paul also received an offering from the Philippians to continue his apostolic ministry like we talked about in Philippians chapter 4. So there's a category of helping to meet missionary needs around the world. And then another category is that we would use those resources to help bless those who we have been blessed by. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 14. This is a principle that will have an application at the local church level, which we'll see in just a moment, but also has to do with blessing the ministries that God has blessed you through in the past. If your kids are a part of Young Life ministry, for example, if they have come to Christ through that ministry and you've been encouraged and blessed by that ministry, well, then that might be a ministry that you want to invest in because there's this principle of being blessed by that ministry, being able to offer back. If you came to Christ through Campus Crusade for Christ in college, that you might be a part of supporting a missionary that works with that organization today. This is a principle that might be at work today, blessing those who have blessed you. But in this particular passage, Paul doesn't mention all of these. He zooms in on one particular need. And that particular need that we can invest the financial resources he's entrusted us in is the needs of the local church. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, he talks about how those who preach and teach are, he calls it, worthy of double honor, meaning they're worthy of some financial support. But I think that in this passage, it becomes even a little more clear as he talks about those who are being taught the Word of God sharing all good things with the one who teaches it. And so we have this this pattern that flows through the church. And that pattern involves us giving financially to the Lord's work. Now, when we see all of this play out, what does he say next? After mentioning that the one who has taught the word shall share all good things with the one who teaches it, The very next thing we we want to turn to is what he says in verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, I want us to think for a moment about our finances as seeds again. If we are to take the money the Lord has entrusted to us, and we are to think about what we do with those resources... If we take those resources and we spend them only on ourselves, you know what happens? The harvest is prone to corruption. Now, we know this because there are many things in life that we thought we just had to have until we had it. And then what happened to it? It broke. It didn't deliver what it promised. And so... He says, if we take the resources that we have and we invest them in the field of the flesh, we should not be surprised when what we reap is less than what we hoped for. But he says, if we are to take the resources that the Lord has entrusted to us and we are to invest them in spiritual purpose, and those spiritual purpose include a number of the things that we saw earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 6, But also as we invest in the local church, in the ministry that happens through the places where we gather. Then he says, there will be a harvest which will reap eternal life. I think Paul here is speaking in these lofty terms to say, you know what? If you invest in the flesh, 
then you're going to be disappointed. But if you invest in the work of the Lord, well, guess what? You will never be disappointed with that. It reaps a harvest, it says, of eternal life. He's not saying that we are purchasing eternal life for ourselves, but he's saying that there is reward that will go on forever and ever as we invest in what God is doing, investing the seed of money that he has entrusted to us. Now, what he says in verse 9, I think, is really interesting. And it's really important for us to consider. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, again, seeing the context and in, in what he is unfolding here, what he is saying is, let's not grow weary in the doing good of investing finances in ministry. Now, why would he need to say that? I know it's early, but it's kind of obvious, right? Because we can grow weary of doing good. We grow weary at times. And, and particularly, I want to address this for a moment to those of us who have been around a little while, right? Those of us who have, have walked with God for a decade or more. Those of us who maybe are, are 50 or, or older even. And when we think about these different age brackets and we've walked with God for a while, we have the propensity to have grown weary of doing good. Why? Because we gave and we didn't like how it was used. Because we gave and it seems like it was squandered. Because we invested in a ministry and somebody made some terrible decisions with it. And what happens on the other side of that is over enough time in a broken world, We've seen a lot of problems, and it's possible for us to have grown weary in doing good. Those of us who are older, this is a particular challenge for us. And Paul writes here to his friends in Galatia, and he says, I do not want you to grow weary of doing good. That's the challenge for those of us who are older. But for those of us who are younger, we have a different challenge with growing weary. You know what our challenge is? We want an immediate return. That's the challenge of being younger. We want an immediate return. You know, I, I gave, and then it seemed like nothing happened. So I'm done giving. Well, how long did you give? Well, I gave like three weeks in a row, and nothing happened. I couldn't see any demonstrable return for that. It didn't seem like my gift even mattered because we gave for a little bit. See, that, that's the challenge of being younger. The challenge of being younger is we want an immediate return. But whether we are young or old, we are not to grow weary. Why? Because in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. What Paul is saying here is he says, if we are sowing financial seed in the spiritual ground, there will be a harvest that will come that will make it worthwhile. But just like any seed that is put in the ground, it doesn't sprout immediately. We put seed in the ground, we cover it with dirt, we water it, and there might be many months that go by before we see the fruit come from the ground. But Paul writes and says, we should not grow weary because if we are investing in spiritual things, there will be a harvest. Now, what is that harvest? You know, oftentimes we want to think that the harvest that comes on the other side of our financial investments spiritually are that we get more money. You may have been a part of a church family that has taught something like that. 
But I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here. I don't think he is saying, give so that you will end up with more money. I think what he's saying is, when we give, we need to trust that God will use those things to accomplish his work. And there is blessing in that. It might be that God uses those gifts to encourage someone who is discouraged. It might be that God uses those gifts to help provide ministry that leads someone into a saving relationship with Christ. It might be that God uses those gifts to help change the tenor of an environment of a city or a region or a country so that the gospel is going forth and lives are being changed. Or it might be none of those things. It might be just in the faithfulness of the gift that God is acknowledging that and recognizing that. And when we enter heaven one day, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant for your your work in investing financially over time. You see, what he is saying here is he says, we we are to give, we are to give regularly, we are to give generously, and we are to do so knowing that there is a reward that is coming. Now, let's be honest. Giving this way always comes with a cost. It does, right? This is why we, we struggle with it. It comes with a cost. If I give to this spiritual field, there will be a fleshly need that I will have to deny. Might drive a little older car. I, I, I might live in a little smaller house. I might not be able to take all the vacations that I want to take. There, there's a cost associated with it. We might not eat out as much as we want to. I, I understand all of those things. There's a cost that is associated with those things. But what Paul is saying is something like this giving does cost us something, but the value of the harvest is always greater than the cost of the seed. Giving costs us something, but the value of the harvest is always greater than the cost of the seed. And so, what are some questions as we think about response? The first question that I would ask is this, are, are, are we giving? And I say we because I'm including me in that. Even though I'm someone that, is, that is take, you know, has received a blessing from this congregation that you employ me to serve as the pastor here, and I'm very thankful for that. And, and, and you're a congregation that is generous, and I'm so thankful for that, not only in my life, but in the life of our staff and to maintain the facilities that we have and to be able to reach out in the community the way that we do and around the world. It, it is such a blessing of how God has used you in the past. But I, I just want to ask this question because I think that what Paul is saying here in calling out the act of giving is he's not just saying give so that some need can get met in someone else's life, but there's actually a blessing available to each of us as we participate in giving to God's work. And so I want to just ask all of us, are, are we giving to, to God's work? Maybe this afternoon you might want to think about that and, and pray about that and maybe go back over some of the, the lists from the earlier slides. All these slides are available on the internet in the ways that we can invest in God's work including in the ministry of the local church. But just ask the question, are we giving? Second question I would ask, are we giving generously? Are we giving generously? Meaning, you know, is it costing us something to give? Third question, are we giving regularly? You know, when it comes to the topic of giving, this is what we all do. We, we all think of our own lives and we want to give the, the best foot forward. You're like, yeah, I was really generous Back in the, the late 90s, that was a great time of giving, and I, I kind of gave then, and I'm not giving now. You know, I, I gave at the office, so I'm not going to give in, at home. And one of the things that we see is that there's a, a regular pattern of giving 
that is found inside of the Scripture? Are we, are we giving in a regular way to the Lord's work? So many of you are. This is not a, a, a discouragement, but it's just to remind us of this, these values. And then are we giving cheerfully? Are we giving cheerfully? One of the things I love is in verse 6 when he talks about this, he says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You know what that word share is? It's the word for fellowship. It's not given under compulsion. It is given in partnership for a purpose. And so when we give to the ministry of the church, for instance, we are partnering together, pooling our resources in the direction of where the Lord is at work. And so some questions for application for each of us to consider as we sow the seed of treasure in the Lord's work. But there's a second point that I want us to see in these verses. And that second point has to do with this. Sow the seed of time in the Lord's work. The seed of time in the Lord's work. Now, if we just walk through this passage front to back, I want now to walk through this passage back to front. Because while I definitely think that all of verses 6 through 10 have at least a portion of finances in mind. I also think as we look at verse 10 and work backwards, that there are are things happening that involve not just our money, but also our time. So where do we see that? Well, we see this in verse 10, where Paul makes this statement. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul writes and he says, what does it look like for us to be empowered by the Spirit of God? Well, we we saw in chapter 5, if we're empowered by the Spirit of God, we're going to love one another. Okay, great. What does it look like for us to love one another as we are empowered by the Spirit of God? Well, part of that is that we are are bearing one another's burdens. Part of that is we're challenging the brother that that has fallen into some kind of transgression. We saw that last week. Part of it is that we're investing the treasure that the Lord has entrusted to us in his work. We saw that earlier today. But also, if we're empowered by the Spirit of God and we are demonstrating love to one another, we'll be investing our time in service to one another. As we have opportunity, we will do good. Now, I love this phrase, we will do good to who? To everyone. Now, now that is, that's quite a lofty statement. That's one of those statements in Scripture, by the way, where we ought to just thank God for forgiveness, right? Because even by our lesson standards, we might have been good to someone's. But I don't know anyone who is who's always good to everyone's. And yet that's the call here. But even after making this statement, that if we're empowered by the Spirit of God, we'll be doing good to everyone, he puts a priority on being good to a particular group. He says we are to be good especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, what does it mean to, to do good to those of the household of faith? Well, I think it in part means that we are available to one another. We listen to one another. We care for one another. When needs are happening inside of our body, we move towards them and not away from them. We pray for one another. We visit one another. We sit with one another. This is what it means to be empowered by the Spirit of God and and participating in the life of a local church. We are to do good to everyone. In other words, 
people in our workplace and, and people on our street should, should be blessed in some measure by us. But there ought to be another category, a special way in which those who are blessed, especially those that we worship and serve with inside of the local church. Now, after making this statement, again, let's walk back to front through this passage. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Friends, when it comes to serving, we need to hear this as well, just as we do with finances. Let us not grow weary of serving. Why do we need to say that? Because, friends, it is a temptation for us to grow weary of serving. Well, what are the temptations? Well, for those of us who are older, we grow weary in serving because we said that we were going to serve many years ago, and we are still serving in those ways, and we've grown tired. Do not grow weary in doing good, Paul says. For those of us who are younger, what do we need to hear today? Well, we've grown weary in doing good because we showed up to serve that one night in Awana. And you know what? No kid trusted Christ. And so we think, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to go someplace where the Spirit's really moving. Do not grow weary, friends, in doing good. Do not grow weary because in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. When we invest our time in ministry, it may not be an immediate response, but it's never wasted. And the Lord is responsible and powerful enough to bring forth his fruit in his time. We need to remember this truth because serving costs us something. When we serve, we are giving up of our time, and we could do other things with that time. We could be doing another hobby. We could be doing a side job. There's a number of things that we could be doing with our time. It costs us something. But we need to remember, just as it was with giving, that serving costs us something. But the value of the harvest is always greater than the cost of the seed. The value of the harvest is always greater than the cost of the seed. And so what will we do with our time? Well, we will invest that seed someplace, right? We'll invest that seed of our time someplace. Will we invest it in the, the field of our flesh? If so, we should not be surprised if what returns to us is a fleeting sense of satisfaction. But if we invest our time in the spiritual work of God, then we can have the hope of a promise of a spiritual fruit. And by that, I don't just mean what you get out of it, but what others will get out of it through you. Just as the fruits of the Spirit are fruits that others enjoy, so our investment of time will produce a spiritual harvest that others around you will be blessed by. So, a few questions in this area. First question, are we serving? Are we serving? Is that a, a, an appropriate headline for your life? Is your general orientation towards serving others? If we are empowered by the Spirit of God, one of the things that will happen is that our orientation towards others will be that they will say that we are a servant. 
Is that true of your family? Would they describe you as a servant? Is that true of those in your workplace? I mean, throw out titles for a moment. What's your general attitude towards people? If we're empowered by the Spirit of God, there will be this this component of serving that will just emanate off of us. Second thing, are we serving within the church? Not just are we generally serving, but are, are we investing our time and energy and resources in some capacity to do good to those inside of the household of faith? You know, that might be just being available to listen or to, to pray or to, to talk with someone. It might be to helping meet a need as it comes available in the church, or it might be serving in a role. It might be being a part of the live stream team. It might be leading a small group or teaching a Sunday school class for children or leading a small group for youth. What, is the, 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 what does it look like for us to take this seriously? It, it means that we're, we're serving. It means that we're serving inside of the church. But it also means that we're serving regularly. Again, you know, it's not that we would say, well, I remember when I served. I had that really good summer. I went on that mission trip back in college. I, I served. I don't know. What, what is, in, in your life right now, what does it look like as we serve? And then are we serving cheerfully? Not serving like Mark said I had to. Serving cheerfully. The Lord has invested spiritual gifts and fruit and opportunities inside of you. Let's cheerfully invest those in the ministry the Lord has for us. So we need to sow the seed of time in the Lord's. But one last thing I want to mention, and that has to do with the verse that I skipped. Anybody notice that? I skipped the verse? Hey, thanks. So yeah, the, the, the type A's in the room were like, Pastor, come on, you can't read it and then not talk about it. So let me talk about verse 7 for a moment. In verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. I think this statement is a general statement that covers over not just finances and time, but really everything in our lives. In other words, we, we can't fool God. We might be able to fool our neighbor, but we can't fool God. How we invest our time, how we invest our money, how we invest just the, the, the work of our spirit and, and what we are focusing on ultimately will be revealed in our lives in some capacity. If we want a harvest of spiritual fruit, we need to invest in a spiritual field. John Stott said this, and I'll close with this. He says, This is a vitally important and much neglected principle of holiness. We are not helpless victims of our nature, temperament, and environment. On the contrary, what we become depends largely on how we behave. Our character is shaped by our conduct. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. As a Christian, God has given us his spirit. But the spirit that he's given us is still present alongside the flesh of this life. Where will we invest the seed that God has entrusted to us? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for just this passage. It's it's a challenging passage because it deals with things that are um, just feel valuable to us. And it seems as though it will cost us to apply this message. But Lord, I just thank you so much that the cost that we see associated here 
is, is never greater than the, the value of the harvest. And so we just trust you with the outcomes and we trust you with all things as we lean into investing our time and our treasure in your work in the field of the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.